I don't know about you, but I have had a very heavy heart this last week. Uh, not because of who won or lost, which we still don't know definitively, uh, but because of even more evidence of just how divided we are as a country. I, I want to bring some words today that I hope will help and heal and bring about unity in these divisive times, but I've really struggled because um, I don't want this to come off as overly simplistic or like I'm just passing off platitudes. Because at the end of the day, God has played the trump card when you abide in him. But for real, uh, even talking about unity is met with division these days. Um, this on your screen right now is a tweet from Gap about unity that seems Fairly innocuous, right? Uh, except for kind of an ugly sweatshirt. But believe it or not, The Gap ended up having to delete the tweet after two hours because people were so upset about it. Twitter users called out the brand for appearing to gloss over polarizing political divides and marketing their brand instead. So what, is, what do we know? You can't even talk about unity without causing more division right now. The harsh reality is that we live in a very, very polarized nation right now, and neither major political party is serving everyone particularly well. When we finally have decisive results in this election, it is certain that some of you will be happy and others will be devastated. Some of you will be excited, others will be dumbfounded. Some of you will be ready to move on, others will be ready to move to Canada. And the last four years haven't only highlighted how divided we are in our nation, but also in the American church. Evangelical believers who once banded together now find themselves in warring camps that can't possibly believe that the other calls themselves Christians. Not only is there sharp disagreement, there also seems to be a total inability to understand where the other camp is coming from. It's dangerous and overly simplistic to say that one camp is truly on the Christian side while the other is not. But this is the kind of rhetoric that is being thrown out on a daily basis. But in reality, we know that there are people on either side of the aisle who are really genuinely trying to follow Jesus. And as I've tried to have more and more conversations and read more from Christians that do not share my political point of view on this, the more I think I am better understanding where they're coming from. I think as I look at both of these parties, these Christian parties, that I, I think it most simply breaks down into two points of view. The first being Christians voting for the right policy, and the other being Christians voting for the right character. On one side of the coin, uh, there is the Christian who votes for the right policy. And although they may not completely align with the character of the candidate, they know that the candidate will enact the right policies that will positively influence the country. To the person in this camp, winning and keeping political power means that they are doing their part to protect the Christian way of life and influence Christian values into our culture. On the other side of the coin is the Christian who votes for the right character. And although they may not completely align with all of the policies of this candidate, they know that the candidate's character will positively influence the country. 
To this person in this camp, they understand that the nation takes on the character traits of its leader. And in supporting a leader with moral fiber, they believe that they are doing their part to protect the Christian way of life and influence Christian values into our culture. Sadly, we've never been offered a candidate with all of the policy and character that 100% aligns with Jesus' teachings. And we probably never will. But that doesn't stop Christians on either side of the aisle from trying to claim that Jesus clearly aligns with their political agenda, which creates not just a divided and broken nation, but also a divided and broken church. It has grieved me to see the amount of people who have walked away from this church because we have not played it safe during this election and have held up both the policies and the character of these candidates against what the Bible teaches. It has grieved me that the evangelical church has gotten so deeply intertwined with political conservatives that when people hear the words evangelical Christian, they immediately associate it with someone who eagerly supports a leader whose character looks scarcely like Jesus' character. It has grieved me that many progressive and conservative Christians have all but canceled one another out by making overly simplistic assumptions about the other's character level of education, and motives because of their political affiliation. It has grieved me that Christians on either side of this issue have given up on civil discourse and trying to understand someone's beliefs and convictions and have instead retreated to even deeper extremist tribalism within their side of the aisle. There's a lot that's broken here, deeply, deeply broken. But when the world is most broken, that is when the church has the opportunity, the greatest opportunity to step in to make positive changes. And I'm certain that there are millions of fellow followers of Jesus who wake up each morning undaunted, ready to do the hard work that the Bible commands us to do so that we can build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I'm certain that there are still followers of Jesus in this country who are choosing to put their hope in God's kingdom above their hope in the American government. I'm certain that there are still followers of Jesus in this country who are choosing to take the unpopular, narrow way of Jesus, not overly identifying as either a Democrat or a, Rep a Republican, but identifying first and foremost as a citizen of an eternal kingdom where the last shall be first. An eternal kingdom where the leader sits on the throne, not because he won an election, but because he sacrificed himself on a cross, because love is his highest priority. But how do we make love our highest priority in a time of great division? I want to read to you a very famous chapter, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to read you a version that was paraphrased for the week of an election by Aaron H. Moon. I want you to let this sink in as I read this. If I speak in the rhetoric of politicians or the eloquence of scholars, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have profound insight and understand all policies and ballot issues, and if I have a persuasive and clear sales pitch, but have not love, I am nothing. If I participate in various forms of philanthropy and work till I die for reform, but have not love, I gain nothing. No matter what I say, what I believe, 
what I do or how I vote, I'm bankrupt without love. Love is patient and kind to those across the political aisle. Love is not arrogant or rude in an election. It does not boast in victory, nor does it complain or retaliate in defeat. Love doesn't strut with a swollen head or force, it, force its political views on others. It does not insist my way or the highway, but it seeks to understand those in another camp. It is not irritable, resentful, degrading, or dehumanizing in person, online, or in thought. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears with broken people and broken systems because it ultimately trusts God always. Love always looks for the best in people and parties, no matter the outcome. Love never looks back, but keeps pressing on to the end. If we are to let love rule in our lives, it means that we have to look for the best in others. It means that we have to take off the makeup that covers up what we're really going through. It means that we have to begin to be truly honest with one another about our pain, our fears, and our anxieties. The first step in uniting a broken church is being open and honest with one another and really starting to listen to one another again. Trying to truly understand where others are coming from. Trying to understand their pain, their hurt, and their fears, as well as expressing our own. And today, I want to strongly encourage you to lean into the spiritual practice of spiritual community. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather as a community, as some have forgotten, but encouraging one another, especially as the day of his return approaches. But how can we encourage one another when we don't even see each other anymore? How can we bear one another's burdens if we don't even talk to each other anymore? How can we grow to be more like Jesus if we're comfortably segregated into our own echo chambers? This pandemic has forced people into isolation and we really don't get a chance to see one another and share about how we're really doing anymore. And with no end in sight and no safe and realistic options to return to an in-person gathering right now, we have to explore other ways to stay connected as a community. So today, I wholeheartedly encourage you to join or lead a Rain City digital community. A digital community is a community of about 12 or so people that meet once a week on a Zoom call to watch the service video, discuss it, and then pray for and care for one another. And then eventually, when it's safe to do so, we'll, uh, when it's safe to do so, we'll start hosting these groups in person in homes. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, wait, what did you say? Another Zoom call? Oh my gosh, more screen time? Sign me up. This sounds like the best thing ever. I get it. I know that another Zoom call isn't your first preference. And honestly, it's not anyone's first preference, but it is better than not being in any community at all right now. 
So right now, it is the time for us to lay down our personal preferences that may be keeping us in isolation and step up to be part of a digital community, even if it isn't your preferred method of meeting. We all need one another more than ever, so I am strongly encouraging you to join a digital community. And a pretty cool thing has been happening since we moved to online services during the pandemic. We have actually seen thousands of new people who have been watching our services from all over the nation and the world. And many have asked if there's a way that they can get more connected to Rain City Church, even though they don't live close. And the answer is absolutely yes. No matter where you watch these services from, we invite you to be part of a Rain City Church digital community. Just click on the link below to get signed up to either lead or join a group. Space is limited, so don't sleep on this because this is a vital step in helping to unite a divided church in a divided country. 2020 has already left a lot of wreckage and isolation in its wake, and it's time for the church to reach out to those around us and embody the love of Jesus. Because remember this, the way you live your life is far more powerful than the way you vote. Every single day we vote with our lives and our actions to build God's kingdom together. I want you to take a few moments right now and discuss these questions with the people you're watching this service with or journal if you're watching by yourself. When is the last time you shared with someone how you're actually doing? How are you actually doing? What is one way that you can help promote unity within our church and the church in America? How can we be praying for you this week? Thanks for listening to the Rain City Church Podcast. We love that our community exists for so many, not just in the greater Seattle area, but around the world. Please push subscribe and feel free to share our content. And for any more questions or to get more involved, check out our website at raincitychurch.com. We hope to see you to Sunday soon.